Double Irish with Mick Smith, an Irish business and finance podcast. Is the customer, the customer always right? No, the customer is nearly always wrong. We'll either hit the jackpot or we'll go down in flames. Here you go, boss. Another one done. And then we discuss big business. Hello and welcome to a long overdue Double Irish podcast. Uh, I owe my listeners an apology for the lack of content in recent times. Exam commitments and travel commitments has meant that the podcast has taken a back seat. But I am hoping to be more consistent in the coming months. On my travels, I attended a fitness boot camp in Phuket, Thailand. Here I met a nutritionist called Paulie Ishak. Paulie left his corporate job five years ago and has since dedicated his life to becoming a personal trainer and nutritionist. His qualifications include a Bachelor of Applied Science in Nutrition and a Diploma in Traditional Chinese Medicine, as well as several personal trainer qualifications. He has gained a wealth of experience traveling the world working with fighters, athletes, and regular clients alike. I sat down with Paulie to discuss how to manage your nutrition while juggling that difficult corporate lifestyle. Uh, You might notice a slight drop in the audio quality uh, when I played the interview. This is just because I didn't actually have my podcast equipment with me in Thailand, so I simply had to record it on my phone. But nonetheless, uh, there's a lot to learn from the interview with Paulie as he challenges some of the misconceptions we all probably have about nutrition. First of all, Paulie, thank you so much for coming Thanks, on. Thanks, man. Love today. it. It's awesome. <laughs> um, I guess the first place to start when you talk about the corporate lifestyle, I think, is stress. Yeah. It invariably comes up. Yeah. Do you know what that impact can have on our body? And, oh, yeah. And can that stress be mitigated at all using sort of better diet. nutrition? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, you, your diet is essential... Obviously, what you put in has a direct reflection on how you act and what you're doing. And it's not even what you put in, it's what you're absorbing as well. Um, the, the, the detriments of a poor diet would you know, culminate all, all this negative energy and stress that you get through your work. It, it just, uh, over time, builds up and just creates more stress and anxiety on a person, which creates inflammation in the body and creates disease and autoimmune diseases and all types of issues that we've got in modern society. Um, stress, not on just what you're putting in also then reflects on relationships poor performance at work brain fog those times you drive through a traffic light and you've got no idea how you got through the traffic light it could be systemic inflammation in the stomach through SIBO and candida and all these type of problems that a poor diet can lead to with stress levels at work getting up it all just gets on top of you and uh, a poor diet is is, is a big big factor in uh, stress just becoming unmanageable really Um, just paying, paying attention to what you put in and what it's doing to you is the first step I get my clients to do. And then um, we look at the process of elimination afterwards. It's easy for me to sit here and tell somebody who's working 15 hours to watch their diet and watch what they eat. Uh, we all, we're all busy. you know. This is a thing, but what's your health worth? And that's what I try to portray to other people. What's your health worth? I mean, I take a very pragmatic approach and a very uh, open and lenient approach, but yeah, I think stress is huge and food has a massive impact on it. So. And what sort of impact can we have on your hormones? So is stress and cortisol? Cortisol those, yeah. levels are huge. So cortisol is a stress hormone. It keeps us alive, really. It's, it's that thing that when a 
if a lion was to walk through this door right now between you and me, we'd, we'd be running. We'd kick that window down, no problem, barefoot, and uh, run out the window. But um, So it's not a bad hormone, but when it's utilised in the wrong way, where you're over, overworking, undersleeping, undernourishing, and that doesn't mean eating packeted chips and stuff, the, the stress levels then have a massive role, and I don't want to get too complex for the audience, but it has a huge role in the endocrine system and, and the other impacts it has on your gut bacteria and, and the way you uptake nutrients. And uh, cortisol leads to all types of issues, such as brain fog, as I was talking about before, and stress levels go through the roof, and you, you, know, you get like the coronary issues, you get all digestive issues, uh, immune function drops off. Uh, so cortisol is a big one, and it's easily manageable. Only when you know you've got the time and the presence of mind to understand what it is. Um, so, all your listeners, just Google up cortisol and how it affects you and what it does without me going too in depth. Yeah. But cortisol is something that we require, but excessively high amounts of it due to long out working days and undernourishing, undersleeping, uh, to play a big role in you know your health in general and your well-being. So. And will cortisol. Could someone potentially think they're put on a load of weight if their cortisol goes up? Is they, are they retaining water because of cortisol? Or, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So cortisol is a, being a stress hormone. The body feels like if you're not eating, for example, and you're one of those people that don't eat, uh, stresses it. That stresses the body, not nourishing the body. It stresses it out in itself. So when you do eat, and if that food has macronutrients or micronutrients that aren't really necessary for the body at the time, it'll tend to hold on to these food because the body thinks it's in survival mode. So cortisol's risen when you're not eating. So people that restrict calories, restrict their diets with eating and not eating at all, uh, the cortisol levels come up and it stresses because the body needs food, needs nourishment. When you're focusing at work all day, all day, every day, just thinking about what you need to do, deadlines, you might be plowing potholes, you might be doing accounts, I don't know what you're doing, but that's stress on the body. And your stress on the body needs nutrition and you need to fuel your body into sleep and rest. So cortisol's effect then would then, anything you're eating, if you're not eating, gets it and holds the nutrients. So you might be eating one meal a day and putting on weight and you don't know why. And that could be a case of many other hormones, uh, polypeptide Y, leptin, ghrelin, insulin, but definitely cortisol has a huge role being the stress, stress hormone. And to keep you surviving, we need to then hold on to that nourishment, hold on to that food, because it doesn't know when it's getting a next routine or next food. Hence why a routine or some type of you know, consistent times of eating or good nourish, nourishment coming through your food, through vegetables, mixed fruits and things like that, um, and, and good quality cuts of meat if you're a meat eater. Um, it's, it's hugely important to help manage cortisol and not forgetting to eat. Um, cortisol sounds like a real nasty thing. Again, it's a hormone that can work for you and against you. And uh, managing it is managing stress. And keeping your stress low generally comes with not just that simple hormone, but comes in life in general. So if that makes sense. Yeah, it's perfect. Kind of. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Cool. Um, but moving on, I'd love to get your thoughts on meal prep because I, mm. I've done the make up five meals a day and I get to Wednesday and I'm looking at this three day old chicken breast and I, <laughs> I go straight to the deli and get yeah. like a chicken roll or something because I'm not eating that. Yeah. What are your own thoughts on meal prep? It's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got plenty of clients that have two meals a day. I have plenty of clients that do six meals a day. I've had bodybuilding clients that do eight meals a day. The meal prep and this understanding of eating every two, three hours grazing has become uh, a fad, so to speak, in the last 10, 15 years as the bodybuilding and sculpting industries become huge and people wanting to change their body body shape into, you know, this amazing sculpture. They require eating protein every meal six times a day. So like you just said, chicken breast, you know, whatever the meat may be, some form of protein with broccoli and sweet potato in 25 containers of plastic um, across the bench on a Monday. And then on Wednesday, you're redoing it all. 
I'm not a big believer. I'm yeah, not a big yeah. fan. Um, I do believe in meal preparation and, and actually having a plan or an idea, like cooking dinner and having some extra for lunch the next day of some form of nourishment. But breakfast, lunch, and dinner is adequate for most people. Uh, the nine to fivers, the the people not the, just the weekend warriors. A nine to five is good. Uh, a nine to five, sorry. I mean, a uh, diet of just three meals a day is, is sufficient. It suffice. Some people don't like breakfast. Some people don't like lunch. Um, we're all different, and this is where the applied science of nutrition is very, very complex. And you can't just say blanket everybody should be preparing preparing four or five meals a day. Some graze, some don't get hungry. Some, and this is all. You know, meal preparation is good if you've got time, but I think it's got to be a variety of mixtures of different color vegetables, different color fruits, and a little bit of alternative proteins because we do need those different proteins to form different peptides in the body. So, having chicken five times a day isn't necessarily healthy, and it's not good on the liver. So, especially think of the environment as well. That's another aspect. But I'm very hippie in this aspect, as you know. Uh, I suppose in the corporate world, I, I know from my own work, there's kind of this dependence now on caffeine to mm, like ah. not even not even get, give you more energy, but nearly just bring you up to functional level. Right. Is there a danger to this over-dependence of caffeine or over-consumption of caffeine or is it... How long is a piece of string, man? Yeah. Like it's... Uh, let me stipulate first for the record, I'm obsessed and love coffee. <laughs> so do I. But I'm well aware of its effects if you're dependent on it because there'll be days where I don't have the coffee in the morning before a client and I'm feeling brain foggy and I'm feeling, holy shit. And that's when I recognize, okay, I, I need to back off of my caffeine consumption on the basis that it's probably a dependency. My energy, my central nervous system is being stimulated from this little thing, this little black liquid, a gold, I call it. It's, a gold, it's an amazing beverage that's discovered back in Ethiopia. But the, the point of this is that caffeine dependency is a big issue for office workers more so than anything. They, I've had clients that have had 12 and 15 coffees a day, and they have all types of high blood pressure, uh, irregular heartbeats, um, all types of problems, uh, overweight, obesity, and it does stimulate insulin a little bit, insulin being the, the storage hormone, and um, but it, it's more the, the stress on the nervous system, that cortisol levels will come up, so if you're stressed already, it's stressing the body even higher, but to get it at a higher functioning level. Tell me to live without caffeine and it's, it's not happening. <laughs> Managing my amounts, having one in the morning and maybe one mid-afternoon if I'm feeling a bit tired, I don't think that's bad because there is a lot of science to say that the black coffee not milk coffee, this is the problem. We're all having lattes with beautiful art patterns on top and adding the sugar. And that's where we're getting a lot of issues with obesity and, and, and overweight and, and spiking that insulin high. If we're just having a nice, strong black coffee, uh, I think there's nothing wrong with it in the morning and maybe two to three max a day. There's a couple of doctors out there saying that's very good for the liver. Others are saying it's not. So my job is to decipher your lifestyle and look at would coffee fit it. Some people yes, some people no. Uh, you know, you know whether coffee's toxic or not. If you get up and you can't function without it, then we've got a dependency issue. It's like any drug, uh, we need to obviously back off or wean off and then try and bring it back into a, a lifestyle where it's a bit better, a bit easier on the body instead of stressing that nervous system, giving you a little bit of a, an amped feeling all the time. So caffeine has its place, I think. And uh, before, well, there's some great science on before training, uh, before exercise and intense weight session, resistance training or some high intensity interval training. There's some good science to suggest that it can help with losing body fat by increasing the body's ability to perform better and brain function and cognitive function. So you're done if you do. You're done if you don't, man. I can't give you a solid, solid yeah. yes or no. I'm very well aware of the pitfalls on having too much and having not enough. So and that kind of brings me on to the sort of next question of like, well, that's more about staying awake. But what is when you? I know people are working long hours. They kind of nearly. I think there's nearly a glorification of working off. Uh, low hours of sleep you know particularly maybe in like 
for example, maybe the investment banking world where like, oh yeah, I work off three hours of sleep and it's yeah. already celebrated. Yeah. But what are, surely there has to be some dangers to that and surely that you're not performing optimally. Oh, mate, uh, lack of sleep is attributed to a lot of deaths. Uh, lack of sleep, well, not, not attributed directly, but over the overall lifestyle when you're lacking sleep, your body's ability to digest food, your brain cognitive function is reduced, um, your body's heart rate and everything like that is variable due to that because it's, during rest, your body is recovering and repairing, the digestive juices are flowing, they're breaking down everything you've done through the day, and going back to homeostasis, bringing the body back to normality. When you wake up, generally fasted after a seven, eight hour sleep, there's science to suggest you know, need, need, need five, there's science to suggest you need set eight to 10. Let's just be done with science. Let's just say you as an individual, me as an individual need seven, eight hours. I need it. When I say I need it, I function at a higher level at it. When I have three or four hours, that glorification talk about back in my old corporate days, I used to glorify the, you know, Tuesday morning, I only had five hours sleep last night, four hours sleep last night, then the next night, same thing. And it used to be a big thing, I only had four hours sleep. And it becomes like a badge of honor that you're actually working yeah. these long 15-hour days, 14-hour days. I, I remember it. You know, we used to chat, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm functioning at a... And then you become dependent on yeah. caffeine, guarana tablets. Then you're pinch eating. You're susceptible to your hormones playing a lot with your, your insulin levels. Your blood sugar fluctuates higher because you're now looking for something to give you more energy. So then you're susceptible to walking into the local convenience store, picking up biscuits, chocolates, all due to the fact that your body needs rest and recovery, not the, the energy you're trying to expand without the recovery process. It's just like driving a car full throttle and not going to a petrol station. Constantly, over and over time, it'll have a big impact on your health. Uh, more so your heart disease and heart stroke uh, and any stress-related diseases that can be a term to everything. But then we look at immune function. Before all the strokes, immune function, you'll have... All types of issues with your immune system. And your immune system basically is your self-defense field. And it's like the little army that you got that looks after you. And when you lack of sleep, when you don't have sleep and you're lacking that on a regular, your immune system's susceptible to everything. You know those people that get a cold and someone sneezes next to them, they freak out if someone's coughing and they shake hands? They're the type that, that haven't slept well enough that generally they're highly susceptible to those type of people making them sick. Um, and that's due to the fact the body hasn't really reset. So... Stress levels of cortisol is through the roof when you haven't been able to, you know, reset properly because you're just constantly going, going, going. There's got to have to be an endpoint, and you don't need a science degree to figure that out. And uh, you know, you as a person, again, I, I generally recommend my clients six to eight hours, but I say to most of them say, "Paul, I can function fine on five, six. You know, they generally can't sleep past it. And and a lot of these office workers, including me, a lot of people on the streets doing you know, hard blue-collar work as well, they, early hours, four or five in the morning, the anxiety of getting to sleep at a time also creates stress. So you can't win. We're in a, we're in a world where it's really tough and you just got to find a balance on what works for your health best. But the detriments of low sleep is, is beyond just cortisol and, and just feeling run down. It's also immune system, stroke, eventual stroke. But that, those smaller things as well, the, the snacking that you're doing, the irritability, the brain fog when you're driving along and all of a sudden you're like, how did that happen again? That's small so that will happen and the next thing you know you've you just feel like shit. You know what I mean? It's so, uh, so really probably your output isn't maximized either, Your output is, like, is not you know maximized. I mean? if, you're, no. if your sole goal is work performance, you're probably not doing that on sure sleep really. Your performance is definitely yeah. low and I know this is off topic. For men, especially corporate men and blue collar yeah. men working long hours, their sex life drops. Yeah. Their their testosterone plummets. Um, and estrogen's up, and then we're looking at you know storages of fat in the lower back, those arms, a little around the chest, and before you know a little bit of 
male pattern boldness comes in, and this is all directly affected through your hormones, through lack of sleep and getting that like a sleep man over a period of time has a massive effect but testosterone is one thing you want to protect as a man through your mid-twenties all the way through to your you know 60s 70s and i know i hear this thing people say oh there's viagra now yeah. well, no we, let's yeah. there's the badge on you want to be doing you still want to be using that testosterone <laughs> at 65 70 but uh yeah so get your sleep if you can it does help with raising testosterone levels along with other hormonal imbalances so, right. yeah and um, i suppose then when you when you talk about working long hours their energy expenditure, uh, like their physical energy expenditure, won't be that high. I suppose they're going to have to be more calorie conscious, surely. And is there? Are you a fan of calorie counting or tracking macros now? Has become popular. Yeah, that's a that's a really broad uh, spectrum question. I love the question because I'm not a fan of counting calories. It causes a lot of stress on people. For example, my basal metabolic rate is 1,886 calories according to a scan that I've done recently. Now, if I'm counting calories. It doesn't take into consideration my activity level. Now, people think sitting at an office, they don't expand a lot of energy. But they've recently found in German studies and uh, studies throughout Northern Europe, uh, Northern and Eastern Europe, is that if you're sitting in an office working an 8 to 10 hour day with deadlines, you're actually doing the equivalent on the stress levels and, and burning the same amount of expenditure of energy or calories as we know it, uh, as somebody going into the gym doing 10 sets of 10 reps of squats with a minute rest. So over an eight to 10 hour day, you're expanding a lot of energy by mental focus. So that drains you, makes you tired, that, you know, those micro sleeps you're having on the train or on the drive home, that's due to the fact that you're low on energy. Uh, counting calories causes stress. Tracking macros, I really am a fan. I, I, I like to actually, in the first few weeks, get my customers or clients to understand that protein, fats, and carbohydrates and an even spread of those um, through each meal is, is a good thing. Um, and, and understanding the requirements needed through the day to actually continue to you know, function at a higher level uh, and to just fuel the body, the adequate sources of protein, the adequate sources of carbohydrates and good carbohydrates at that, and good fats, which has been bastardized in the last 20 years. Fats are a huge part of our endocrine system, a huge part of uh, requiring uh, our nerve endings to be lined up, or, uh, not lined up, I should say, like, um, like covered, so to speak, the myelin sheath made out of fat, your brain's a lot of fat. So you need fats in your diet, and we've bastardized fats. We don't eat them. You know, avocados, walnuts, selenium in through your Brazil nuts and good essential fats, oils through coconut oil, olive oil over your salads. Um, it's a huge Is that part starting of it. to happen now, the carbohydrates, that, that, like, you know, that stigma towards fat? Is that now kind of moving towards carbohydrates? Because I hear a lot of people say, Correct. Uh, I'm having a low-carb diet or no-carb diet. That's a good so, question, uh, man, because it's funny you say it. Every seminar I do, I ask them to put their hand up who he's cutting carbs, and no word of a lie, I've got layman's from people who are not training at all cutting carbs completely and they're not having any of their fibrous vegetables uh, because it's a carb content i had a lady yesterday tell me that she's not having the sweet potato because it's too caloric dense and it's just complete misinformation they're not understanding the beta carotenes and the vitamin a's and the b's and the d's and the c's that you're getting from carbohydrates yes i am a big fan of restricting carbohydrates of a very simple nature biscuits cookies chocolates um, white pastas white breads i'm not a fan and if you come to me as somebody, as, 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 as a client, I generally like to cut that or wean people off it because it is a big part of our diet and lifestyle. Um, but the certain carbs such as, you know, sweet potatoes and white potatoes have been bastardized because of the insulin impact. But I'm not looking into the consideration of how well they perform in the gut bacteria. So, you know, and, and, and supply the gut bacteria, good bacteria for the body's, you know, to function and to actually help absorb foods. So sweet potatoes, brown rices as opposed to white rice due to the husk and the body need to work a bit harder to break it down. Carbohydrates have been demonized big time, but with fair warrant on the basis that 
the most of the carbs we have are processed shit. And I don't like to put it any other way. You get to a calorie counting stage in your life, and I've had a couple of calorie counters put their hand up and say, but I get to bed at night at, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, and I have 400 calories to eat, so they're happy to eat 400 calories, or energy expenditure, worth of shitty carbohydrates, not understanding the impacts they have on their hormones. And it really doesn't make sense. So I generally like to start people, instead of counting calories, just understanding the difference between the impacts of these things that you have in your, on your body. So having white rice as opposed to brown rice, not a huge, not a huge impact, but I would prefer to put the white rice in post-training. That insulin spike come around training, help the nutrients shuttle in. As opposed to brown rice as a, as a more stable blood sugar, so it absorbs a little bit slower. It's got your selenium and other things in it that helps with the nutrient absorption, slows down the blood sugar spike. Um, I can rant about these for ages. This is one of my bugbears because majority of the industry goes to calorie yeah. counting. And you ask me what's my opinion. I'm not a fan. It does have its place. It does work. People do get results. And they do get very educated while they're doing it. But doing it long-term and sustainable, I don't think it's feasible. And I don't think it's feasible for a person who's doing 10 to 15-hour days and work, you know, being drastic, being 15 hours, but counting calories that's causing more cortisol, more stress. And they're figuring, oh, my God, i got to eat, i got to eat. And that's not good. It's, it's definitely not good. I think there's a more sustainable way, understanding tracking your macros. When I say tracking, more just being aware of what you're eating when you're eating it. And um, you, you'll get a lot better results just eliminating crappy food or well, I don't even call it food I call it just a, a thing I don't even call a packet of biscuits food it's not food that's yeah. it's literally sugar that breaks down the body like that was a click by the way and <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose then the other thing is people in offices office canteens would probably have the biggest mm. resource they probably have access to is a microwave mm. I often wonder if myself though is like say sometimes I prepare eggs in a microwave or stuff is is preparing an egg in a microwave and, and or boiling it is there am i losing some of the nutrition i think you are I, my education doesn't biochemistry of how the the protein denatures through nuclear energy as opposed to boiling my education doesn't go beyond that of a nutritionist yeah. however from what i've read and this is probably not expert advice i'm not a fan of microwaves just on how it works on the basis i believe it's nuclear energy heating within so it does denature a lot for example eggs your yolk is all the fat in the, in the, in the omega-3, 6s. Having it something expand to an energy, like the heat that it gets to, it would denature the fat and, and make it really hard for the body to recognize that as the chains of fat that it used to once be. Boiling it as opposed to boiling it at a certain level, when it gets to rock-hard level, it's the same thing. Rock-hard boiled eggs apparently have denatured fats. When I say apparently, because some science, again, would suggest that's absolute baloney, but... I can't eat hard-boiled eggs on the basis that I just don't think that there's any nutrients in the cooking of the yolk, for example. I'm just using this as an example. Microwaves in general have a place because we're all running that fast lifestyle. I would prefer not to use them, and that's just because I'm a little bit of a hippie, and I get <laughs> that nuclear energy isn't really something I want to use. I think it's nuclear energy. I would be corrected yeah. by your audience uh, because, again, my education on microwaves isn't up to the standard of, say, somebody who understands... The energy it processes, it puts out, but from what I've seen and read in papers and food nutritionists and other food nutritionists saying that yeah, this isn't, food scientists I should say, saying that this doesn't really work well for the denaturing, the denaturing of the protein, the carb sources in there, as opposed to cooking it traditionally, I would probably stay away from ours. But if it's a necessary evil, minimal. Maybe have your food warm, not boiling hot. Don't scorch something, you know. It would definitely have an effect, yeah. I'm positive. Yeah. But I don't want to put it out there and say that's fact. <laughs> 
Uh, the microwave industry is going to kill me. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we've just run out of time, Paulie, but I can't thank you so much yeah, it's for awesome. coming on the show. And uh, for people at home who want to hear more from Paulie, uh, please check out his website, which is www.treepillarsonline.com. You have a wealth of knowledge thank and stuff, you, so people definitely check him out. And again, Paulie, thank you so much for Appreciate the time, on. man. Thank I loved it. <laughs> I enjoy it. Thank you so much. Cheers. All the best. The Isaac Digest, a weekly review of the Irish stock market. It was a mixed week for Ryanair as the airline recovered from the news of mass cancellations. The share price rose above €17 mainly due to the collapse of rival Monarch Airlines. However, this increase was eroded at the tail end of the week with news of potential pilot strikes. Bank of Ireland traded down 1.4% in CEO Francesca McDonough's first week, while AIB traded up over 2% for the week. House builder Karen Holmes traded down for the week as rival Glenvay Property prepares for an IPO. Irish Residential Properties Real Estate Investment Trust traded down on news that it had lost an appeal against a decision refusing permission to build apartments in South Dublin. A change to in insulation regulation in France saw analysts warm to Kingspan, which experienced a marginal rise in share price, while CRH lost 1.8% in share price on Friday alone, on the back of a failed acquisition attempt of Ashgrove Cement. That was your Isaac Digest for the week ending October 6, 2017. Double Irish with MixMip Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud and follow the Twitter handle at Double Irish MS.